Thank you, Father, that all authority and power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and that you freely give us that today. And I pray that we would grab a hold of Jesus this morning in a way like we never have before, that it would transform our lives. And Father, that you would even point out in our lives maybe where we've been fighting the battle in the wrong direction, that we would see where the battle really lies. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. He got up that morning to go fishing, and as he was out fishing, he was on the boat, and I imagine that the coast, he was off the coast of Spain, I imagine that the waves were rocking and rolling the boat, and as he's going along, I don't know what kind of catch he was getting that day, but suddenly he noticed something floating, and as he went over to discover what it was, he was aghast to find that it was a body floating with a life jacket. As he saw this body floating there, he didn't know if he should what he should do, but pretty soon he hauled it into his boat and he took it back to shore. As they began to look at this body, they did an autopsy on it and they decided that obviously this must be one of the allied forces. You see, this was during World War II in the midst of the the height of the war. And, And this body that was found, they found a few things that indicated who this person was. One, they found a little picture in the pocket. It was a picture of the man's girlfriend, and we'll try to get that up on the screen here. There's a picture of of the man's girlfriend in his pocket. Said, "Oh, okay." Uh, And then, and then there was another identification card for the Allied forces. He was in Britain's army, apparently, and his name, according to the card, was Martin William. Now you see, Spain Spain said that they were neutral at this point in the war, that they weren't on Germany's side, they weren't on the Allied forces side, but they kind of had a little bit of a leaning towards Germany. So they began to see this. They also noticed that attached to him by a leather cord was a briefcase. This briefcase looked pretty special, and they began to to say, "Well, maybe we need to to tell uh, we need to tell the Allied forces and Germany about this." So they eventually talked to the German forces, and the interesting thing that happened was the Germans immediately seized on wanting this information that was inside the suitcase. And they wanted to do it really stealthily, so they, they went through, they sifted through the papers, and they found these secret documents inside of the briefcase, and they took them out of the envelope very carefully, and they took pictures of them, and they put them back inside of the envelope. They put the briefcase back, and they returned all of the documents to the Allied forces. Why did they care so much about these documents? Well, they had intercepted communications between the Allied forces that said, we've lost some documents that are especially precious in an aircraft that was down." And they said, oh, this must be it. William Martin has been downed, and he has these documents that we need in this battle. And so they look at these documents, they translate these documents, and the documents tell them that the Allied forces are going to pretend to attack Sicily, but in fact, they will attack Greece. And that's the direction that they're going to go. So Germany passed this on through the chain of command until Hitler himself began to make orders to move the troops to Greece, to be prepared for what the Allied forces were going to do, to be prepared for the coming onslaught. But here's the thing. William Martin never existed. 
William Martin was not in the Allied Forces military. William Martin was actually a homeless man in, I believe it was Wales, who died from eating rat poisoning. They needed a body to be able to send a message that looked believable so that Hitler's army would begin to fight in the wrong place. That they would begin to have a battle and that they would think that they are preparing for an enemy in the wrong place. So they moved all their forces to Greece and the Allied forces went into Sicily. And then from there they began to attack Italy. And they say that that was one of the swinging parts of the war. That was one thing that helped the war in World War II and helped the Allied forces. You can look it up. It was Operation Mincemeat. You see, the enemy likes to work, or in this case, we look at ourselves as we were on the good side, but in war, deception tends to be key. And you find that it's no different in the final battle that goes on in Revelation, when it says that the enemy comes out, Satan the dragon goes out, and he his wrath with the remnant of the woman's seed. Revelation chapter 12 says that. He's coming, and he's coming with the purpose of deception. And today, he's working with deception in your life and my life. That's how he's worked from the very beginning with deception. And Jesus, being fully aware of that, warned his disciples not long before he went to the cross. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 36, he said this, Watch therefore, and what? He says, watch and pray. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to, what does it say? Stand before the Son of Man. You know, this is a a question that comes up in Revelation. Who is able to stand? Who is the one that's going to be able to stand when Jesus comes back? Who's the one that could possibly stand on that day? The psalmist asked that question too. Who could ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who's the one that could stand in his presence? Isaiah said the exact same thing in Isaiah chapter 33 or 35. He says, who is the one that could stand in the presence of this burning fire? Who is our God? Who could possibly stand? What does Jesus say? Watch and pray. Watch and pray And as you do that, you'll be counted worthy to escape all the things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. If you have your Bibles, I wanted to invite you to open them, or there's Bibles in front of you in the pew there, to Luke chapter 22. And we want to look at how this plays out, because Satan wants for you and I to think that the battle is where it isn't. Does that make sense? He wants us to think that the battle is in a place that it's not. And we see that happening in Luke chapter 22. And from that, we'll make applications to our own life and how we can see where the battle really is. Luke chapter 22, and we'll pick it up in verse 31. Jesus is talking to Simon, and he wants him to be aware. He, you know, it's like he, he pulls Simon aside and he says, okay, here's the deal. Here's how the enemy is wanting to work, Simon. Verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to just take you and, and he wants to sift you out of, of my disciples. He wants to take you out. That's his mission, to take you out. And then look at what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you. What did Jesus pray? That your faith should not fail. That's key. What Jesus is concerned for Peter is, is that his faith 
will not fail. What is faith? Faith is trusting in God, clinging to God, looking to God. He says, I am praying for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Peter, you know, hearing this, being the brash guy that he was, the confident guy that he was, he wanted to reassure Jesus. He wanted to let him know, it's okay, Jesus. You don't have to, to worry about me and, and my battle with Satan. You can stop praying, Jesus. Verse 33. But he, that's Peter, said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to death, to prison, and to death. Jesus, I appreciate that you're praying for me. That's nice. But I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to both prison and to death. In fact, in Matthew 26, 33, Jesus, uh, it adds what Peter said. He said, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus, I would never fall. I will stand in that day. Jesus, you can count on me. I'm Peter and I'm here to stand for you. And you can count that I will stand for you in the end. You know, Paul later on says something very crucial in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When we think that we can stand, when we think that we have what it takes, when we think that we're fighting the right battle, like Hitler and the Germans moving their troops to Greece to fight what looked like a massive battle that was coming their way, when they're in fact fighting the entirely wrong battle. Could it be that I do the same thing? Wanting to stand, wanting to stand up for Jesus, wanting to to be there in that day and say, Jesus, I will stand for you no matter what. In fact, I'm fighting the wrong battle. In fact, we see that in Peter's experience. It's funny because if you read on, he goes, well, verse 34 says, Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you deny me three times. Before you deny three times that you, what does it say? That you know me. Do you see the emphasis of what Jesus' concern is? He's concerned, first of all, that Peter's faith will not fail. Then he's concerned that he's going to deny that he knows him. Do you see the relationship language that, that Jesus is concerned about? Peter is worried about fighting. He's worried about going to prison. He's worried about that type of battle. Jesus is saying... I'm worried about your faith. I'm worried that you're not even going to admit that we're in a relationship. You see the difference in where the two's focus is? And it's fleshed out a little bit more. We won't go into all the coming verses, but, but Jesus goes on to tell them how, you know, when I told you that you don't need to take staff or knapsack and, and you could go out and, and feel that I was going to provide, that, that you were going to be provided for, did you lack anything? And the disciples say, no. We lacked absolutely nothing. And then he says, well now, because I'm going to be numbered among the transgressors, I'm telling you that you should actually take your money bag, you should take your knapsack, and you should sell your garments so that you could have swords. And Peter hears that. He's like, oh, swords, right? Okay, we need swords. And so this is what he says in verse 38. So they said, look, Lord, look, here are two swords. And Jesus said to them, it is enough. And it's interesting, if you read in the Greek, when he says, it is enough, it could be saying, that's enough swords, which means you don't need 12 swords, stop with two, don't go any further. 
Or it can just mean enough of this conversation, we don't have time to get into, you're just not getting it, Peter. There's two different options here, really, when you look at the Greek. Maybe he's saying, it's enough, please don't get more swords. Or maybe he's saying, this conversation, it's enough. Let's, you're not getting it, let's just go on and move on to something else. Peter thought the battle was where it wasn't. Peter was worried about swords. He was worried about going to prison. He was worried about these kind of things. And sometimes we can have the same concerns about Jesus coming back and miss the point of what it's all about. Have you ever heard conversations about, well, when the time of trouble comes, where are we going to go? Where are we going to hide? And how are we going to sustain ourselves? Maybe we need to buy one of those boxes that has seeds in it. Or maybe we need to, and I'm not here this morning to tell you that that is wrong. But I'm here this morning to tell you that that is not the main battle that we are to fight. Others may talk about, well, do you know that in that day, it says in Revelation chapter 22, he that is filthy will be filthy still. He that is righteous will be righteous still. And in that day, we've got to be perfect. How are we going to be perfect? You know what we better do? We better start fighting sin in our lives. We better start going through the things in our lives that are wrong and taking care of those things in our life one by one. Is that fighting the battle where the battle is? Let's keep reading and looking at what happens to Peter in this story. So Peter is focused on swords. He's focused on fighting a battle. He's focused on going to prison. He's focused on these types of things. And you see what happens. What Jesus, again, wants him to be focused on as the story continues in verse 39. It says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was, what is that word? Accustomed. So they did what they, they always do. The, Jesus went, this, this seemed ordinary to the disciples. This seemed like the place that they often would go to. This is what they were accustomed to. And his disciples also followed him. This wasn't a new thing for them. It was, it was the consistent practice of what Jesus would lead them to do. Things are a little different, though. We learn in Matthew's gospel when they get there as they see the sorrow that Jesus has. But Luke doesn't tell us much about that. It just says, when he came to the place, he said to them, what did he say? Read it with me, okay? This morning, I need to make sure that you're sticking with it, that you're awake. What did he say? Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's let's read that again. It's really important. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus' focus in the battle is on faith, on knowing him, on praying. He says, look, this is coming up. And Peter's like, don't worry, I'll stand. I'll bring swords, I'll go to prison, I'll fight. Jesus, I'll do whatever it takes. And Jesus says, let's go pray. (laughs) Let's go pray. What is it about prayer that enables us, as Jesus says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice that the prayer takes place ahead of the temptation. Jesus doesn't say, okay, Peter, when this begins to happen, then you can begin to pray. He says, let's go and let's pray now. 
We need to pray before this moment comes. And if you read the story, verse 41 continues then, well, 41 goes on to tell us that the, in the rest, coming verses tell us what happens to the disciples as they begin to pray. They fall asleep. You know, Jesus takes three of his disciples further in, then he goes, it says, a stone's throw away, so they could still see him. They could watch Jesus and they could pray. He wanted them to watch and pray, some of the other Gospels tell us. Watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray so that you can stand in the end. Watch Jesus and pray. And as they were there praying, you know, you imagine the minutes roll by and they say, okay, we always do this. This is great. Yeah, I wake up every morning and I have my devotions and I read it and that's good. And pretty soon they're beginning to fall asleep. There's not an urgency for them there. For Peter, if he saw an army coming, there would be an urgency. If he saw that that, that Jesus was going to be attacked, there would be an urgency there. But for him, this is just nighttime and Jesus is there praying again. And wake me up when the action begins to start. Wake me up when I start to have important battles to fight. Not realizing that Jesus is trying to tell him, this is where the battle is. For you to come into relationship with, with me, for you to have a relationship of dependence on me through prayer, for you to recognize that you don't have what it takes, that he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus comes to them in verse 46, says, then he said to him, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. The battle is fought on our knees. The battle is fought through connecting with Jesus. That's what Jesus is longing for the disciples to gather. And they don't get it because you see what happens. First, we'll look at this from Testimonies for the Church, volume 2, page 205. It applies it to our lives today. It says this, By these sleeping disciples is represented a sleeping church when the day of God's visitation is near. It is a time of clouds and thick darkness when to be found asleep is most, what does it say? perilous. It's a time when Satan is going to be coming and is going to be trying to get us to fight the battle where it's not. Where he's going to be having us focus on things that aren't really the battle. And the battle is that relationship. The battle is, will we still have faith? The battle is, will we trust Jesus? The battle is, will we know him as our best friend? Will we take time to be still and know that he is God? So you know what happens in the story. 49 tells us this. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, this is when the, the, the mob comes. They've got clubs. They've got a bunch of people coming to take out Jesus. And the disciples see it, and, and their response is, okay, now is when the battle starts. Now is when we begin to fight. So they say, Lord, shall we strike with the sword now? Is now the time when we begin to fight? And they don't listen for an answer. Verse 50, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now just, I need a volunteer to come up here really fast, a young person to come up here and help me. Gunner, you helped me last week, but I don't see any other hand. So, oh, we had a hand here? No? Okay. Gunner, we'll have you come up here. All right, so, Gunner, I want you to pretend, and it's not very much fun, but I want you to pretend that you are the servant of the high priest, okay? 
So you're going to be facing everybody. Now you're, you're coming to, with this group of people, and you're coming to capture Jesus, right? Now tell me, if you look at Gunner's ears, how am I going to chop one of his ears off with a sword? Right? So if I, if I go like this, will I chop one of his ears off? I could, but I'd also chop probably his shoulder, and some, we'd have some other issues going on. But what would you do if I went like this, Gunner? But with a sword. If I was coming at you with a sword like this, what would you do? Would you stand there so I could hit you? No. What would you do? You would duck. Did you see what he just did? What would happen if he ducked like that? That was really good. Could you do that one more time for us? Wow. You see that? And maybe the high priest, he ducked like that, but he ducked to the side a little bit. And then the ear came off. So what was Peter actually trying to do? What do you think he was trying to do to that guy? Probably kill him by just taking his head off, right? Okay, thanks, Gunner. You're really helpful. That's two times you've been really helpful to me. I appreciate that. So he is coming swinging with all of his might. Peter's saying, I am taking this guy out. I'm going to chop his head off for you, Jesus. I will stand up for you, Jesus. Jesus, I have what it takes. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to go whatever it takes, Jesus. I'll chop heads off for you. Jesus... Verse 51, but Jesus answered and said, permit even this, and he touched his ear, and he healed him. Okay, look, there's some collateral damage from fighting the battle where it's not, Peter, and I'll fix that damage for you. I'll, I'll make things right. In Matthew 26, verse 52, Jesus says to, to Peter, but Jesus said to him, but put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. It's clear that, that Jesus wasn't wanting Peter to think, I've got to fight with my sword. He's wanting for Jesus, for Peter to recognize the spiritual battle that's taking place. Now I want you just to imagine for a second. Imagine that, that I wanted to go on a vacation. I wanted to go to Fiji. I've never been to Fiji. How many of you have ever been to Fiji? When Stephen Arrington came here, he showed really beautiful scenery. He showed the, the, the scuba diving that you can do there. So imagine that I, I learn about going to Fiji and I think, okay, I'm going to go to Fiji. So I walk down to Cambria and I go out on the beach and I begin to flap my arms. And I just keep flapping my arms because I'm going to Fiji. What's going to happen? You guys aren't very confident in my flying abilities, right? If I just keep flapping and flapping and flapping, nothing is going to happen from that. I'm attempting to accomplish this amazing task in the entirely wrong way. It's a beautiful place that I'm trying to get to. I have good ambitions. I have good reasons. Fiji is like paradise. Many of us are longing for heaven. We're longing to stand up for Jesus And maybe I should put myself in this place. I'm flapping my arms a lot of the time. I'm missing the point. I'm fighting the battle where it's not. I'm I'm guarding Greece when when Satan is looking at Sicily. He's coming to attack me by a way that I'm not aware. Thankfully, the Bible gives us some hints as to how this battle can be fought. If we look in Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong. How? In the Lord. What should I do rather than flapping my arms to get to Fiji? 
I should go to the airport, the San Luis Obispo airport, hop on a little plane that'll take me to either Los Angeles or San Francisco, hop on a bigger plane where we have an amazing pilot like Stephen Scott that'll fly me across the world. I'll ride on that plane. And so long as I stay in that plane, I'm going to Fiji. If I jump out at any point in time, I've got a problem. Am I the one that's accomplishing the work? No. Will I get there? Yes. But I can't do it by flapping my arms. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Whose strength? Whose might? Is it mine? Friends, this is good news this morning. So I hope to see some smiles. I hope to hear some amens. I hope to hear some excitement. Because sometimes we look at the Christian walk and we think, I just don't have what it takes. Or sometimes maybe we've portrayed it to other people where they say, well, if I had enough self-control, I'd be in church. But I don't have what it takes to do what you have to do. I've heard some of you talk about your friends who said, yeah, I don't know how you do what you do, but I just, I can't do that. But this tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of who? Put on God's armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Sometimes our focus is on how to get ourselves able to stand against Satan. But what does it say to do? It says to stand in God's armor. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's the problem. I am usually focused on flesh and blood. I'm focused on my own experience. I'm focused on, well, I've got a problem with appetite. And I know that that needs to change. And so I'm going to change it. And I hope that God will help me. And I'm going to ask for help as I change myself. Or maybe I have a lust problem. And I'm saying, well... I better figure out how to change this lust problem because it's not a good thing and it's hurting my life. Should I live a lustful life? Should I live, live a life that's enslaved to appetite? Should I, if I have a problem with stealing, if I have a, a problem with pride, should I just determine that I'm going to humble myself? The problem is with all of that that we're focused on flesh and blood. We're focused with a human being. We're focused with, with me. What can I do? What can I accomplish? How can I fix these things so that I can get to paradise? But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. They have a whole lot more ability to deceive us than the allied forces had to deceive Germany, if you get what I'm saying. They have a whole lot of power that that I don't know how to contend with. I don't know how to fight this battle. And if I am trying to fight a physical battle, if I'm trying to preserve myself, if I'm trying to strengthen myself, be it physically so that I can make it through the end, or even if I'm just trying to build my own character so that I will have what it takes to stand in my own strength, I'm in a whole lot of trouble according to the Bible. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You want to stand in the end, Paul says? What you need is the armor of God. Now here's something. If we, if we look through the armor of God, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail about it this morning. There's, there's a lot of depth to it, a lot of beauty to it. 
But I want you just to think about something this morning. If we look at the armor of God, we have the belt of truth. Right? So it says, put on the belt of truth. Then it says, shod your feet with the, the shoes of the, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Then we have, what's the next one? The shield of faith, which he says is the most important one because it enables us to quench the fiery darts that come at us. Then it says, the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. And finally, it says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, as you look through these weapons, what one of these do I have the capacity to accomplish in my own? In fact, I skipped one here, didn't I? Does anybody know which one I skipped here? The breastplate of righteousness. I don't know how that one escaped my attention. So you take the belt of truth. Do I have what it takes to, to discern truth? Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. I don't have what it takes to come up with the truth, so I need God. How about the shoes of the gospel of peace? Jesus says, let your light so shine that men may see your good works. He doesn't say to create that light. He says to wait and to pray until you receive power from on high in Acts verse 1 verse 8 so that you may be my witnesses. The disciples prayed until that took place. But they didn't go and study the languages of all those different people. They didn't figure out how to reach all those different people. They went to God and God led them as to how to reach the people. How about the shield of faith? It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. That means he gives it to us to begin with. He creates, he initiates faith. And he's also the only one that can complete and finish our faith. He's the only one that can keep us standing in the end. I have got to realize that from A to Z, it's Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness Isaiah chapter 64 says that our righteousness is his filthy rags. And last week we talked about how, yeah, we can, we can have the outside of the cup look clean. We can, we can go through the motions. We can even say the right things to the people. But inside, we could be murdering them. Inside, we can be lusting. Inside, we're not really wanting this, this obedience. And God says, unless that obedience comes from the heart, You're wasting your time. You're just a hypocrite. But thankfully, what was the answer at the end of that chapter? He said, I have been longing to encircle you in my wings like a hen. I've been wanting to to be your refuge, to give you this experience. If only you would allow me, I would do it all for you. Every ounce of the journey is Jesus. And if we're trying to do it in our own strength, he who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. The sword of the Spirit, I think that's pretty clear. But sometimes we can take the Word of God and we'll say, okay, I'm going to use this to chop up the sin in my life. I'm going to quote whatever scripture in order to take care of the sin and I'll be able to take care of it. But whose sword is it anyway? Is it my sword? Hang on. I think I need to sit down. I don't... Whose sword is it? Are you guys here this morning? Whose sword is it? It's the sword of the Spirit. Is it my sword? Is it, is it what I can come up with from the Bible? It's what the Holy Spirit can do. 
as I get to know him through the Bible. It all comes down to a relationship with the God of the universe who can work in me to will and to do of his good pleasure, who has promised in 1 Corinthians 15 that thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Not only do we get to get on the plane to go to Fiji, but we've been given a free ticket to get there. He's longing to give us victory in our lives, but the reason that I don't find the victory that I want in my life because I'm fighting the battle where it isn't. I'm trying to chop up my sin. I'm trying to chop up my will. I'm trying to, to, to die to self. I'm trying to put myself to death. I'm trying, we use all these different terms and all of it can only be done through Jesus Christ. Jesus' righteousness is absolutely everything. And the reason I'm really concerned that we pay attention, that we wake up, that we get it, because time is short. Because we do need to be able to stand. Because we do need this relationship that creates victory in our lives. I need to not be a hypocrite any longer. I need the inside of my cup cleaned. Because there's a world out there. There's empty pews here this morning. You notice that I'm standing here because you're back here. And it's summertime and every pastor in Atascadero and Pastor Robles will tell you that there's less people in church in the summer. But if the gospel is as good as it is, why is this place not overflowing? Where are the people? Are we lifting up Jesus? Am I inviting my Have I found something good enough in my own experience with Jesus that I'm dragging people to church? I have to be honest. I need more of Jesus. I have neighbors. I have friends that I haven't yet invited to this church. And I want for Jesus to be so lifted up here that I am dragging people here saying, you've got to find out the fact that you don't have what it takes. It's not about how strong you are, but it's how strong Jesus is. Just this past week, I got a text message from a friend that honestly I've worked with and talked with for some time. And as he has thought about the idea of fully surrendering his life to Jesus, he's just basically said, I don't have that kind of self-control. I have different habits in my life, things that I just don't have what it takes to surrender the sin in my life. So I, I shared with him some things this week. I actually had him listen to a message that was so encouraging to him that he sent me this. He said, wow. I think that may change everything. Now, this wasn't from me talking, by the way, just in case you were wondering. The definition shared of surrender makes me realize that I can finally surrender. This whole time, I thought it was about surrendering sins. But I could never promise God that I could or would give up and go cold turkey watching movies. I probably shouldn't. Or playing video games. Or having lustful thoughts. But that's not what surrendering is. It's surrendering self to him, acknowledging my total helplessness in these matters. I need to keep exploring this. Friends, that is absolutely everything. To recognize that Jesus and Jesus only is the source of our victory. And Paul goes on to tell us the exact same thing that Jesus tried to get through to the disciples, that it was about that relationship. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's that connection with heaven. It's 
finding that armor from God and God alone, finding the victory through prayer, through that prayer that's not changing who God is, but ultimate and complete dependence upon who God is. It's opening the heart to God as we open the heart to a friend with perseverance, not letting him go until he blesses us. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, we've seen it a couple times. When we think that we're going to stand, is really when we fall. But if we recognize that we don't have what it takes, and that drives us to our knees, finally we realize that He's the one that creates the surrender. He's the one that creates the faith. He's the one that gives us repentance. That all of it is a gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. Faith and Works, an incredible book. If you get to get your hands on it, it's on the internet as well. Page 38 says this. Some who come to God by repentance and confession and even believe that their sins are forgiven still fail of claiming as they should the promises of God. So they've repented. They've had confession and, and they should do that. Their sins are forgiven. But they fail to experience the promises of God. How? They do not see that Jesus is an ever-present Savior. And they are not ready to commit the keeping of their souls to Him, relying upon Him to perfect the work of grace begun in their hearts. They're not ready for Jesus to do A to Z. They want to do part of it. They feel like they have to do part of it, whether it's their own pride or whether it's their own just understanding that they have to do it. They're missing something, it says here. While they think they are committing themselves to God, there is a great deal of self-dependence. There are conscientious souls that trust partly to God and partly to themselves. But isn't it God working and me working, and once I've worked as hard as I can, then God will do the rest? No. They do not look to God to be kept by His power, but depend upon watchfulness against temptation. And the performance of certain duties for acceptance with Him. If I just watch carefully enough and I see the temptation coming, then I'll know how to run from it and I'll be okay. It's not enough. There are no victories in this kind of faith. None. Because we're trying to chop off heads with a sword. We're fighting battles where the battle is not. We're focused on sin. We're focused on ourselves. And we're not focused on Jesus who's promised us victory over every one of those sins. Such persons toil to no purpose. Their souls are in continual bondage. And they find no rest until their burdens are laid at the feet of Jesus. It's a difficult path to be on. It's a frustrating path to be on. But the good news is that God has something better for us. There is need of constant watchfulness. We do need to watch for something and of earnest, loving devotion. But those will come naturally when the soul is kept by the power of God through faith. Watchfulness, earnest, loving devotion. Those things will come naturally when we have faith in what God is able to do in us. Then it goes on to say this. We can do nothing absolutely nothing to commend ourselves to divine favor. We must not trust at all to ourselves or to our good works. But when as erring sinful beings we come to Christ, we may find rest in His love. Every burden is light, for the yoke which Christ imposes is easy. Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. Isn't that beautiful? 
Isn't that what Jesus is talking about when he says in Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, for your law is written within my heart. And that is the promise of the new covenant for each and every one of us. And until we experience that, we're missing the gospel. We're missing who Jesus will be to us. Until we come to hate sin and to love righteousness, we're fighting the battle in the wrong place. I'm not saying to walk out of here and and to go commit gross sins because that's going to be painful for your life. It's going to cause problems. The law of God is beneficial even if we keep it selfishly. But I am saying this, that you won't find victory by focusing on your sin or by focusing on yourself. But as you look to Jesus, you'll recognize how hateful your sin is and you'll keep turning to Jesus and praying to Jesus to be delivered from temptation and asking for his help until finally all of those things will be gone in your life and you will stand in Jesus' strength because it now is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. There was a preacher by the name of W.W. Prescott who was frustrated in his religious experience. He wasn't able to find victory. And he describes it in the book, Victory in Christ. He writes this way, For a long time I tried to gain victory over sin, but I failed. I have since learned the reason. So he says, here's the reason that I didn't gain victory over sin. Instead of doing the part which God expects me to do, and which I can do, I was trying to do God's part, which he does not expect me to do, and which I cannot do. So he says, I was fighting the battle that I wasn't supposed to be fighting, that God was supposed to be fighting, and I wasn't fighting the battle that God expects me to be fighting. So what is the battle that God expects me to be fighting? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Primarily, my part is not to win the victory, but to receive the victory which has already been won for me by Jesus Christ. I have to have an open heart. I have to have a relationship that accepts the victory that Jesus has given to me and that believes that he's going to lead me in victory, that he's going to lead me to a righteous life. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, these things I've said to you so that you could have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart or be of good cheer i have overcome the world i've already overcome it i've already given you the victory first corinthians fifteen fifty seven. but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ so we shared with you about our journey of infertility and about wanting to have children and i have to be honest with you this morning that in reality I was a little nervous about having children. In reality, as I thought about it, and people would say, you don't understand how your life is going to change. As I thought about it, I said, you know, I'm not sure that I want to have children because I'm not going to be able to do as much work. I won't have as much time for my wife and my family. But little by little, God began to change my heart, and I saw that Leah really wanted kids. And as we prayed about it, it was like God was leading us that direction. But really, who signs up for this anyway? Do you realize what you have to do when you have a child? There are diapers to be changed all day long. I mean, we'll sometimes change 10 diapers per child in a given day. That's 20 diapers a day. Maybe more sometimes. Sometimes we have to change their clothes too because the diaper didn't do its job. We wake up in the middle of the night when they're crying. 
Leah feeds them constantly. It's, it's taxing to her body. It's a constant focus. It takes all of our energy, all of our strength. It's a lot of work to have kids. But here's the incredible thing. I wouldn't trade these littles for anything in the world. I saw them here in the warmer. This is the first time that they met each other after they had come out of the womb. And I just kept telling them, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you've come to wreck my life. I'm so glad that everything's going to change. I'm so happy you're here. And I can't tell you how much delight I have in the simplest things like being able to give them bottles, being able to feed them, taking time during the day to feed them. What happened? Somebody was born, and I love them. Jesus wants for you to be reborn. So that the motivation in your heart is no longer, that's a long checklist. You mean diapers and staying up at night to suddenly love? is a motivating factor, and you don't even remember how many diapers you changed. You don't even remember how many times you were up because you simply love those girls. And you can't imagine your life without them. And you're, you're just wanting to do everything you can to protect them. And you want to hold them longer. And, and even on Sabbath morning, you're supposed to be to church for prayer time by 8.30. And they wake up at 4.30 and you plan to have some extra time in prayer. And you end up holding them for a couple of hours in the morning. You're so thankful that you just got to hold your baby girls. <laughs> because you love them. Jesus says, I just hope you won't deny that you know me. I hope that your faith won't fail. I hope that this relationship will see you through. I hope that you'll watch and pray so that we can fall more deeply in love and that I can see you through in the end. Friends, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I just want to fall more in love with Jesus it's just a simple testimony this morning. Let's fall more in love with Jesus. Let's fight the battle where it is. The battle is in our hearts, and it's a spiritual battle that is fought by looking to Jesus. Taking time to pray when it feels like nothing's happening, when you're like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, what's the difference? This isn't making any difference at all. Realizing that that connection, that's absolutely everything. Clinging to Jesus and his love is what will enable us to stand. Would you just go to your knees with me this morning? Father, it's so beautiful that maybe it seems way beyond our reach. But God, I thank you you promise us it's not about our, str- our strength, but your strength. And that actually your strength is made perfect when we recognize that we don't have what it takes. When we realize that we don't have what it takes to stand and we take time on our knees to connect with the God of the universe, to allow you to fill us with your grace, your mercy, to be still and know that you're God to plead for your Spirit to live in our hearts so that it's no longer we who live, but Jesus who lives in us. Father, as we're here on our knees, I pray that we would remember 
that you've called us to watch Jesus and to pray. That this is the key to victory. And right now, I just want to encourage you to maybe make an appointment with Jesus. Maybe it's for this afternoon. Maybe it's for tomorrow. Maybe it's each day over the coming days, but an extra appointment, one you haven't made with him before. And just to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to take time to watch you through your word and to pray. Jesus, we've got to have more of you. Thank you that you're longing to give yourself to us. You stand at the door knocking, just waiting to come in. And Father, may we experience that more fully as we go through the communion service this morning. May our hearts be lifted up to the God who loves us more than his own existence. May we recognize that our strength really is weakness and that your strength is absolutely everything. May the righteousness of Christ be all to us. Thank you for giving us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.